Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Swans, and today is Saturday of the 34th week in Ordinary Time, the last day in Ordinary Time before the new liturgical year, and the last weekday Corona of Thorns podcast. From here on in, it'll be every Sunday. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Stir up the will of your faithful, we pray, O Lord, that striving more eagerly to bring your divine work to fruitful completion, they may receive in greater measure the healing remedies your kindness bestows. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of the Apocalypse. The angel showed me, John, the river of life, rising from the throne of God and of the Lamb and flowing crystal clear down the middle of the city street. On either side of the river were the trees of life, which bear twelve crops of fruit in a year, one in each month, and the leaves of which are the cure for the pagans. The ban will be lifted, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in its place in the city. His servants will worship him, they will see him face to face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. It will never be night again, and they will not need lamplight or sunlight, because the Lord God will be shining on them. They will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, All that ye have written is sure and will come true. The Lord God, who gives his spirit to the prophets, has sent his angel to reveal to his servants what is soon to take place. Very soon now I shall be with you again. Happy are those who treasure the prophetic message of this book. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, ring out our joy to the Lord. Hail the rock who saves us. Let us come before him, giving thanks. With songs, let us hail the Lord. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. A mighty God is the Lord, a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his. To him belongs the sea, for he made it and the dry land shaped by his hands. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come in, let us bow and bend low. Let us kneel before the God who made us. For he is our God, and we, the people who belong to his pasture, the flock that is led by his hand. 
Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Alleluia, alleluia. Be watchful, pray constantly, that you may be worthy to stand before the Son of Man. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, Watch yourselves, or your hearts will be coarsened with debauchery and drunkenness and the cares of life. And that day will be sprung on you suddenly, like a trap. For it will come down on every living man on the face of the earth. Stay awake, praying at all times for the strength to survive all that is going to happen, and to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so today's going to be the last daily podcast. Um, well, for the time being, I suppose, anyway. <laughs> One thing about COVID is it seems to be quite unpredictable. But gratefully in Australia, we're all getting back to Mass. Victorians, good to see you joining us. Uh, and gratefully in South Australia, uh, we just had a little bit of a blip I'm very tempted to give a homily on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness, but um, I think we're all at least relieved to be out of lockdown. In case you're interested in the stats too, by the way, um, since we started the podcast in March, we've had close to 80,000 individual plays. Um, Thanks, Mum. I think you're responsible for about half of those. Every day it's usually been around 200, 220, something like that. There seem to be a few crowd favourites that um, get a few more. But the way I've kind of seen it, it's a bit like having a having another parish. And although the interaction's been a little bit one-sided, um, you listening to me a whole lot more than me listening to you, um, I am grateful to those who've sent emails or reached out. So we'll be kicking on with Sunday homilies. And I think given that, you know, most of us have got the opportunity to get to Mass... I'll simplify the podcast a little bit and um, we'll stick to the readings in the homily. But before we kick on to the last instalment of the Book of the Apocalypse, um, I just want to thank you for the gift of your time and of your attention. Um, I'm very humbled by that. I know you're all very busy. Uh, And secondly, um, that I'd like to entrust all of this work to the prayers and intercession of our Blessed Mother. If it's worth anything, she'll know what to do with it. All right, so Book of the Apocalypse. It annoys me a little bit because the lectionary kind of cuts out the best bits. (laughs) I hate to say it, but, you know, the culmination and the coming of the New Jerusalem and all of that sort of stuff that you find in the last few chapters of the Book of the Apocalypse, um, a lot of it just gets kind of skipped over. And we just get these seven verses now from the 22nd chapter of Apocalypse. But I suppose I can see the logic behind it. These past two weeks, the focus has really been on the battle between good and evil and the coming of God's kingdom, God's great victory. Victory through the blood of the Lamb and the saving of the martyrs who shed their blood for Christ. It's pretty fitting for the end of the liturgical year that the church finishes with a really rousing kind of exposition of the need to remain faithful to Christ, even in the face of tribulation. What the apocalypse has done for us is peeled back, unveiled reality. 
those powerful forces, or what seem to be powerful forces on earth, are in fact vanquished. And there's a wonderful irony. We've seen a hideous dragon, a couple of horrific and disgusting beasts, and we've seen the whore of Babylon, and all of these have been cast down by what? A lamb. A lamb, moreover, that looks to have been slain, but is alive. And what does his army look like? It looks like a bunch of murder victims. A bunch of martyrs who seemed to be so completely powerless, so completely helpless in the hands of those who killed them. The apocalypse has unveiled appearances in order to expose reality. What is truly powerful is God and his salvific will. And that which seemed to have free reign and that which seemed to be all-conquering on earth is in fact undone, swallowed up in merciful love. Now, okay, if we let that shape the coming liturgical year, if we allow this unveiling to really sink into our hearts, then in the coming year, the beasts that we encounter are not going to frighten us. The whore of Babylon with her seductions is not going to entice us. This coming year would be all about the lamb. And the reading that we have today, you know, when we do what we've done for the past few days with the book of the Apocalypse and start to decode some of the symbolism that's presented, um, really opens up an extraordinary picture of what God has planned for us. What's being described here is the new heavenly Jerusalem. Now, chapters 21 and 22 just pepper us with Old Testament images. God is making everything new, a new creation, a new Eden, a new Jerusalem, a bride for the Lamb. Now, what's interesting is that one of the seven angels who poured out um, one of the bowls in the last plagues speaks to John and says, come, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. One of those seven angels that poured out the bowls, these were the angels who destroyed Babylon. Remember the seductive harlot who had great beauty but was drunk with the blood of the martyrs? Well, here's a beautiful little irony. The angel that showed you, the prostitute who was unfaithful and inspired idolatry, the earthly parody of beauty. Well, this angel is now going to show you the bride, the bride who is prepared for the Lamb. This is the church, the pattern of the true worship of God. Now, what we see here is a kind of merging of two images of the new bride and the new Jerusalem. Uh, so that gets a little bit confusing. But remember, we're not talking about prose writing here. We're talking about apocalyptic, deeply, deeply symbolic. So John's quite happy to say the bride is Jerusalem, that the place where God dwells with his people is the bride, the place of communion with God. So the vision now describes the heavenly Jerusalem that's coming down out of heaven from God. We hear about this new city having 12 gates and then also 12 foundation stones with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the names of the 12 apostles inscribed on the foundation stones. That's the starting point for the building of this new heavenly city. 
And we get some incredible descriptions of uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, that these 12 foundation stones are made of gems uh, and that the 12 gates are 12 pearls and that the main street of the city was of pure gold, like translucent glass. Now, all of this is Bible code, right? In the prophets of the Old Testament, especially after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians and the tragic exile of the people of God, um, we hear prophecies that God would rebuild Jerusalem. The prophet Isaiah says to the people, O afflicted one, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony and lay your foundation with sapphires. Well, here's the new Jerusalem, you know, not a crummy old Jerusalem that gets rebuilt brick by brick, but one that now comes from God. Each of the 12 gates is a single pearl. Remember Jesus' parable in the Gospel of Matthew about the pearl of great price? Here it is. Now, John makes an interesting observation about this new Jerusalem. He looks around, he goes, but there's no temple. Jerusalem without a temple? That's nutballs. The temple is the dwelling place of God. The sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, that was, you know, where God rested his feet as he sat enthroned in heaven. You know what? There's a reason why there's no temple in the New Jerusalem. Because the New Jerusalem is the temple. This is the dwelling place of God. This is where God dwells with his people. You don't need to go to a place in Jerusalem in order to find God's dwelling place. You're in it. In the description of the walls of the city, um, we find out that they're 144 cubits long, each of the walls. It's a square, just like the sanctuary in the temple. Now the whole city is a sanctuary. So we're still looking at some of the descriptions that, that happened before the beginning of the first reading that we have. But listen to this. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple was the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. The city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gave it light, and its lamp was the Lamb. So there you go, in the face of the glory of God, you don't need created light anymore. No sun, no moon. You definitely don't need the torch app on your phone. And notice too a kind of oblique reference to the conquering of pagan gods, because they were the ones who worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars as the source of light, but they're all gone. Jerusalem is bathed in the presence of God. So let's take a quick look at this first reading then, right? The angel then shows me, John, the river of life rising from the throne of God and the Lamb and flowing crystal clear down the middle of the city street. On either side of the river were the trees of life, which bear 12 crops of fruit in a year, one each month, and the leaves of which are the cure for the pagans. Now, that's straight out of the prophet Ezekiel. Do you remember the vision that Ezekiel has of the temple uh, and then a river flowing from the temple that, that starts as a stream and then turns into a torrent and it flows all the way out into the desert and then finally into the Dead Sea where it turns the Dead Sea sweet? Now, we actually had this reading from the prophet Ezekiel on Tuesday, the fourth week of Lent. So if you want to hear a little bit more about it, um, go back to the 24th of March. But a big difference with that vision is that, you know, instead of the river coming out of the temple and going into the world, the world now has been drawn into the New Jerusalem. It's not flowing out into the Dead Sea because the Lamb has gathered everything into the New Jerusalem. 
And this river brings life. So much of it evokes the Garden of Eden, you know. Adam and Eve are told to eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden, um, especially the tree of life. And now we see that these fruit trees, they, they give a crop every month. And not only that, these fruit trees are healing. Now, I'm really quite frustrated because there's so much more that I want to say about all of this. I mean, how important are light and water in the Gospels? Remember Jesus healing the man born blind, um, telling him to go and bathe in the pool of Siloam in Jerusalem? Remember how he made mud out of dust and wiped it on his eyes, this kind of act of new creation because Adam was taken from the dust of the earth? And then through this water of Jerusalem that new light was given to his eyes. I mean, doesn't that just blow your mind? And then throw in the sacrament of baptism, the fact that we were each given a candle, a light from the Paschal candle to accompany us on our earthly pilgrimage. And all of this finds its fulfillment in the heavenly Jerusalem where you don't need artificial light anymore because the glory of God is the light of the city. This bridal wedding feast finds its fulfillment in communion where Christ and his bride truly are one flesh. That here the gift of the body of Christ given in the Eucharist, finds its fulfilment in the true intimacy between bridegroom and bride. And I tell you what, we could go on and on and on, and it's just amazing. But maybe the last word belongs to the last line of our reading. Happy are those who treasure the prophetic message of this book. Yeah, there'll be trials and tribulations. And there will be those who rise up as enemies of God and enemies of us who appear to hold all the power. But pull back the veil. You'll see that they're defeated. You'll see that the Lamb is victorious. And those who are faithful will live with God in divine intimacy. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy, we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot, at this moment, receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God.
and we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide, so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test, and deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.